Hello and welcome into Around the Nest, Jay talking our way around the Toronto Blue Jays organization. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler with the Lansing Lugnuts. And over the course of this week's show, we'll talk about things as we come out of the draft, out of the Major League Baseball draft, where we get to see the players before a lot of other folks. In this case, these draftees will head to the Gulf Coast League, they'll head to Bluefield, the Appalachian League, and they'll head to Vancouver, uh, the Northwest League. We'll be hearing from Rob Fay coming up as well. And that's in a couple of weeks because Vancouver officially starts off its season uh, come uh, the 20th of June. But right now, let's open things up in AAA. And let me bring in the voice of the herd, Pat Nalacaro. Pat, how are you? Great, Jesse. It's uh, a little bit overcast. We're in Columbus, Ohio now. The Bison just finished up three games in Toledo against the best team in the IL yesterday with a win. A little bit of dodging some raindrops here earlier in the day and hoping for uh, uh, baseball here tonight between the Bisons and Clippers to start a three-game series. Let's start with yesterday's game. What a big game for Danny Jansen. Yeah, he continues to hit the ball well, and there are three things that he credits um, in any conversation that you have with Danny this year, it's the glasses and getting glasses two years ago is a big part of it, and there's no doubt. Um, being able to see the baseball is obviously an important thing. But if you go beyond that, it's also changing his approach at the plate a little bit and um, using his weight distribution a little bit better. That's something that he and Corey Hart have worked uh, over the last couple of years on. And the third part of it is being finally healthy. This is the second straight year that Danny has been healthy and it's been able to implement some of the changes that Corey Hart has given to him over the last couple of seasons. So if you bring all of those three things together, uh, that equals to a top 10 batting average in the International League, leading the herd uh, as, as a team uh, with the batting average, uh, now has a team lead in RBIs with 31 after uh, a bases clearing double yesterday, solo homer, and an RBI ground out. So five RBIs yesterday. Uh, nothing new for Danny, and it, it seems like he is continuing his organizational growth um, and showing us why he is the number six prospect uh, if you go by M- MLB pipeline. Let me stay with what you mentioned. You said about Corey Hart. He gives Corey a lot of credit. How else and which other players have you seen the coaching staff of the Buffalo Bisons helping your Bisons develop? Well, I think, you know, Bob Stanley brings a lot of uh, Cachet, being a former big leaguer, former all-star, great pitcher in the Red Sox organization with the Red Sox, and, you know, pitching very well. I think all, all of the guys on this staff bring something different to the table, and they all bring a lot of experience, a wealth of experience, whether it be, uh, you know, I, I hear guys talk about, you know, Rowdy Telez has talked about, even before joining the Bisons last year, how Bobby Meacham helped him work on his defense and make him a complete player. So that is something that has uh, helped Rowdy, and then you look at the outfield. Look, learning under a guy like Devon White has to be incredible, and these guys do not uh, take that ad- advantage lightly. They take uh, full advantage of the opportunity. So I look at all four coaches on this staff, and while Corey Hart might not have the big league experience uh, that the other three uh, coaches on this team and, and manager Bobby Meacham bring to the table, Corey brings uh, his own set of skills that, that make him extremely valuable, and I think all four um, ha- have worked well with these Bison players, uh, as well as any coaches that I've seen come through uh, in my 20 years of working in baseball. Joined by Pat Malacaro, the voice of the herd. Let me, let me just ask you, because I saw the photograph. Tell me about Hawaiian shirt Sundays. That predates me, and it actually predates Ben Wagner. This goes back to our uh, Bison affiliation days with the Cleveland Indians when Jim Rosenhaus was 
the broadcaster for the team. And I don't know exactly the, the original genesis of it, but essentially it was nice weather out. Sunday afternoon is a laid-back kind of day. You know, a lot of workplaces, you know, if, you're, if you have a 9-to-5 job, a lot of places will have casual Fridays. Well, we, we can't necessarily have casual Friday in the broadcast booth. So um, Rosie and Duke McGuire, who is uh, part of the Buffalo Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, he, he is a member of that group and a, and a voting member of it as well. Uh, they decided that they were going to start wearing Hawaiian shirts on Sundays and have that more laid back and, and you know uh, laid back feel to the broadcast. So it's something that Duke and Rosie did years ago, and that it's something that Ben continued the tradition on. And um, I'll be honest with you, we did not start wearing the Hawaiian shirts until uh, Memorial Day weekend when we were in Rochester. That was the first one of the year. And there were folks that in, in our um, at home part of our uh, TV production crew that helped us out with our MILB.TV broadcasts that were very upset that we hadn't done it um, yet to that point. And now I will say this, Duke has a specific set of rules. Now, uh, me being the third broadcaster to be part of Hawaiian Shirt Sunday, the temperature has to be above the uh, I-90 I speed limit. So it has to be at least 65 degrees uh, for us to wear Hawaiian <laughs> shirts. We're not, we're not going to wear them when it's 32 and snowing in April. That, that's just not going to happen. So that's a, that's a caveat of that as well. There was something else that I saw you post on Twitter, and that was how classy your tastes are. How many other broadcasters are going from one site to another while watching some Hitchcock? Oh, I, 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 love, I love old movies, and uh, it was a, you know, two-and-a-half-hour bus ride is, is a long enough time to, to delve into to movies. So that's, that's my outlet on the bus is I'll pop on a movie, and um, it started when I was in high school taking a uh, film class about classic films, and uh, I got sucked in by the Hitchcock psychological thrillers, and uh, just I love watching those. Vertigo was one I had seen bits and pieces of in the past, but uh, I was on, uh, on iTunes a couple months ago, and I saw it was uh, one of the specials for like $5, so what the heck, I'll, I'll purchase it, and uh, last night was the time to finally bite the bullet and watch it, so to speak. Let me finish up with you, Pat, by asking you, the draft took place this week. Uh, you won't see these players for a little while, some of them for a long while, some of them a little bit shorter, but it's not like you're going to get them anytime this year unless something weird occurs. So what were your reflections on, on the draft? How did you take it in? Well, I, I sort of take it as a – it's tough here at the AAA level because – I remember going through it and being a short season A broadcaster in Batavia and having to learn about 40-ish players right off the bat. I sort of look back and I say, okay, the Blue Jays took a high schooler with their first pick and he's going to sign and, you know, that, that'll be good. Hopefully we see him in a couple of years. So I'll keep, tracks on, keep a track on, on a lot of these players. But for me, it's, it's a lot more just watching from the periphery and um, we'll see how Vancouver does this season and always – you know, keep track of who's doing well down there and how they rocket up the organizational ladder. So, unfortunately, you're right. I mean, we've seen maybe some college players that are first-round picks that maybe make it um, in a year or two, in maybe even that season after being drafted. So, I'll be honest, I don't keep too close of an eye just because. Now, if there were a player, if there were, you know, a pitcher that we heard about was going to be, you know, he's so far advanced because he's, was a junior in college, I would, um, you know, do a lot more uh, homework or, or short-term uh, research on him. But it's just so hard at the AAA level because it might be two or three years, best-case scenario, before we see anybody um, 
from this year's draft class make it here to AAA. Did you talk to any of your players about their own draft day experiences? Oh, I love talking to guys about that, and absolutely I've talked to, to a lot of them over the last week, whether it be guys that were driving home um, from school back, uh, back out west. Uh, Ian Parmley uh, was driving home through, I believe it was Montana at the time, uh, when he found out he got the call asking if he would accept uh, you know, a certain uh, dollar amount to sign with the Blue Jay organization. Um, you know, other guys t- talked about uh, Justin Schaefer when he was pitching for Florida. Uh, you know, he, he had talked to the Blue Jays that day, uh, knowing that they were probably going to take him. And it's, it's always fun to hear those experiences because it's such an exciting thing um, to be drafted and, you know, to be able to share it with your family. Now, uh, uh, I haven't gone through it myself, but just, just hearing these stories over uh, the last couple of years talking to guys, it's always fun to hear uh, the unique quirks or uh, where guys find, find out the news that they're going to be drafted. Pat Malacaro on Twitter at PatWGR, the voice of the herd, the Buffalo Bisons. I'm thinking about that Parmley road trip from college at Liberty all the way back home to Washington State. That is a road trip. Pat, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Jesse. Have a good one. You bet. And now let's go to Jim Tarabokia with the A Advanced and Eaton Blue Jays. Jim, let me ask you, how did you take in the draft this week? Um, you know, I looked at it like um... – you know, they, they're, they're drafting guys, I think, who are um, athletic, who can play up the middle, um, and then if need be, move to um, third base or first base or a corner outfield spot, depending on how they develop with their bats. So I took it as it was a draft where, um, you know, drafting a shortstop in the first round out of high school, you're drafting a kid, um, and I I don't know much about him, but from the footage that I saw, um, he's got a quick bat, great bat quickness. Um, he's got a good body, and he has a chance to really grow into that body and maybe grow into some power. But right now, um, base that he has, along with his baseball skill set, is that he's athletic. And uh, that's what I kind of took away from the draft. They're trying to draft um, some athletic guys who could um, – you know, uh, be uh, who can be flexible and move to a different position um, when they do reach certain levels of uh, of the organizational ladder. With you and the DJs as a whole, I'm going to touch on Edward Pinto in a second because you've done such a great job letting everybody know about him and how he's distinguishing himself. But let's begin with Kevin Smith. How is Smith adjusting to the advanced level? You know, I, I don't think it's been a huge adjustment uh, for him uh, in, in, in regards um, to uh, trying to figure out, you know, these pitchers or um, there hasn't, I guess there hasn't been that, that tough period, if you will, um, because I think it, he's more mature, um, you know, than, than maybe some other, the younger guys, uh, at least I'm saying uh, baseball wise, uh, more mature, um, you know, coming from college and, um, you know, having the approach that he has sticking with it, um, you know, adjusting quickly to the clubhouse and what he needs to do. But the one thing I've noticed about him is he has a plan and he sticks to it. And um, he's always trying to make adjustments um, with that plan if need be and, and 
build off what he did positive the night before and what he needs to rebuild, um, if you will, or, or you know, whatever the case may be, um, to um, get better that day before the game in infield work, you know, pregame work, early BP, during batting practice, whatever the case may be. Uh, he strikes me as the type of kid who's mature enough uh, baseball-wise to understand how to take the positive with the positive, the negative with the negative, and where to go from there. So I don't think it's been a huge adjustment period for him. I think it's been fairly easy for him. I think the natural talent is there, um, and I think the maturity is there. So uh, this kid's really exciting to watch. With Edward Pinto, you, Daniel Venn, you've done your work letting us know how difficult it has been to strike him out. Who's the person who researched, hey, He's, what, the second toughest hitter to strike out in the minor leagues, or am I shortchanging him there? No, that's no, you're right. He actually might be the first now. Um, that was all Daniel right there. Um, he actually uh, found that out. I, I, get a, I get a chance to look at the stats every day um, from the league, and I found out that he was the hardest guy to strike out by far in the league. And then Dan took it one step further and found out that um, – he was the uh, hardest guy to strike out uh, in minor league baseball. So that was a kind of the uh, the combination there of the dream team, right, where uh, we kind of figured that out together. The two of you working in balance with one another, how do the two of your personalities bounce off of each other? God, we hate each other. I mean, I know. I know. I've always said, you know, him and I, you know, it's like – uh, I was probably going to be like my wedding one day because, and we're going to share stories about how, uh, you know, we used to help each other in the clubhouse, navigate the clubhouse, you know, with different guys coming every year. You know, we know, we both know respectively how to work at work a clubhouse in baseball and you know, you know it too. You know how to do it and everybody on the show knows how to do it. But, you know, pe- normal, uh, it's normal, I guess not normal people, but people who work at other jobs. I have friends who are, you know, I have a friend who's a pharmacist. I have a friend who's an architect. They wouldn't really know how to, you know, work a clubhouse, right? Just like I wouldn't know how to, you know, prescribe pills to, to some people, you know, or, or prescribe medicine. Um, you know, but at the same time, while Dan and I know how to do that, you know, it's always, you never know with the group of guys that you get, you know, you need to learn these guys, learn their personalities. We've kind of helped each other out with learning each other's, uh, learning their personalities and telling each other about it and how we approach certain guys and how we approach this guy or how we approach this guy. So, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a cool thing, you know, when you work and, and I mean, this goes with, with Allison as well, our graphic design person. Um, and of course, Mike, our boss, who also has to um, interact with the players as well. We all kind of um, work as one and trying to figure out and navigate the clubhouse and uh, what works um, with, with communicating what needs to be communicated with these guys. And it really makes for, you know, some fun stories. Before I let you go and say farewell for another week, what else stood out to you from these past seven days of DJ's baseball? Well, Riley Adams has a 25-game on base streak, and I'm really happy to see him um, doing a lot better um, than he was in the beginning of the year. He's, he's made adjustments. He's been open to making those adjustments at the plate, um, small adjustments in his stance. Um, for me personally, I've always been the type who's, who it, it doesn't matter how you start in your stance as long as you get to a certain hitting position, um, you know, but sometimes with different guys it works, and he's lowered his hands um, and that's helped him in his load. He's using his legs more, I think, and his swing path has been adjusted a little bit. So he's hitting the baseball harder with more backspin. Um, you know, he's not getting as cheated on the inside. Um, if he is late on an inside pitch, he's strong enough to where uh, his mechanics are more sound to where he can muscle it and flare it out to center or to shallow right center and, and get a base hit. And he's um, hitting the ball harder 
And um, I'm happy to see that with Riley. You know, he's a good kid and uh, a good catcher. He has a great arm. There's a lot of expectation coming in with this kid um, to our club this year, and he's really starting to come through. And, you know, it's no secret that, uh, you know, he wants to win and he wants to develop and he wants to help his team every single night. And uh, he's got a certain intensity about him that guys really like to gravitate to, you know. I mean, so – uh, you know, I'm I'm happy to see Riley doing well, and uh, it's no coincidence. I think that we've won three or four from from Charlotte, and he's hitting the ball so well. And of course, Kevin Smith, as we we talked about him earlier, uh, he had four hits. I think it was yesterday. So, um, you know, that, that's pretty much you know what I'm looking at right now. Um, you know, and of course, we're looking forward to having Logan back off the disabled list soon, and uh, and um, you know, this team getting ready. We may not win the first half, obviously, because uh, the numbers against us in terms of the amount of games that are left to be played, but. I think we're gearing up for the second half, and, and things are really looking up. Jim, how do you think that will work out with Warmoth and Smith both active on your roster? Well, I think, you know, you look at Kevin, um, you know, he's played third this year for us, even with Logan going down. So, uh, you know, he's very versatile, I think. Um, I can't think of it where I think Logan's only played short or the designated hitter spot this year. Um so I think they both have different skill sets, though. You know, with with Kevin, I think he projects more um, because of his um, certain type of agility um, and, and his athleticism where he can play third or he can, you know, play second base and be successful. It's not to say he can't play short either, but I think um, both guys are, are somewhat different and, and either guy, and Kevin in this case, can play third and move to second base. And again, you know, you look at it too, it goes back to the double-A level. You know, how did they fit in when Lourdes was, um, you know, down there uh, in double-A? You know, how did they, you know, how did Johnny Schneids work in Kevin at second and Bo at short and then Lourdes, you know, there's ways to do it. And I think you can, you know, kind of rotate and switch guys around. So I, I don't, I think it's, it's just, it's a positive that he's here and you know that, you know, very well how good of a player he is. And I, I don't think that's really, you know, yeah, that's, that is something that matters, but um, you know, Kevin and Logan are both the type of guys to me that, you know, in case you'll put the lineup card out and if it says, you know, Logan, you're playing, you know, left tonight, you know, who knows, right? And then, Kevin, you're playing third or short or whatever. They're, they're, they'll go out there and try to do their job. So um, I think it'll, 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 you know, be interesting to see, you know, uh, you know, Kevin playing different positions and Logan maybe playing different positions. You know, but that's all part of the, uh, the development process, and I think they are mature enough to understand that. Jim, tremendous. Thank you very much for your time today. All right, buddy. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Jim Tarabokia, the voice of the Dunedin Blue Jays. Now we promote ourselves up the ladder to AA New Hampshire, and let me bring in Tyler Zickel of the AA Fisher Cats. Zick, how are you? Jesse, I'm fantastic. I'm pinch hitting for Tyler Murray today as we are in the midst of a six-game homestand with our first of three against the Bowie Bay Sox tonight. So while Tyler's been seeing a lot of the Cats baseball over the last couple of days, he, of course, as he always tends to be doing here at home, wrangling the media because, as we all know, it's been a little more exciting of a year for New Hampshire compared to yesteryear and uh, certainly enjoyed all that extra attention. So Tyler Murray handling the hordes of media today here at Northeast Delta Dental Stadium. Well, let me ask you, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. now on the DL, your thoughts, what's going on? So the initial issue was when he was legging out 
an infield single late in the game. The Fisher Cats uh, were playing in Binghamton last weekend, and that's just a testament to Vladdy's competitiveness as well as his team spirit. He didn't need to leg out that single for a base hit, but he felt like being the competitor that he is, regardless of the situation, he ran it out, he was safe, but he came up lame, and that uh, started the sort of saga over the last couple of days here as it relates to the injury to his leg. And so while nothing's been made very clear to us, he is now officially on the DL. He was back in the game a couple of days ago, then came out early after a tough slide. So while we don't know what the details are, it seems to be relatively minor and primarily precautionary, which I know is a sigh of relief, not just for us here in New Hampshire, but for all of Blue Jays fandom, both north of the border and within the United States. Well, okay, good. Everybody breathe easy and we can move on from there. Let's stop and talk about the draft. How closely were you watching it? I'm not a big uh, draft watcher, just me personally. However, uh, I have been listening, of course, to both Jim and Pat previously and would echo their sentiments based on the very limited draft watching that I've been doing this year. However, the biggest takeaway that I got was the Blue Jays continuing a trend of drafting the progeny of former big leaguers as now Conine is part of the Blue Jays organization. So while I don't have very much to offer like Pat and Jim did in the way of draft analysis, I did find it pretty ironic and somewhat uh, amusing that, you know, the big league sons of continues to be a trend within the Blue Jays system. Did you talk to any of your Fisher Cats about their draft day experiences? I have talked to some along the way, including guys like uh, Danny Young and Justin Schaefer that Pat brought up as well. And, you know, Justin had an interesting experience in that he was on the radar of a lot of teams going back to high school and, of course, turned down some lower draft picks to go play at the University of Florida. And so Schaefer spent his draft day on the phone with a number of different teams and also with the Blue Jays multiple times. And I think got a total of three offers from the Blue Jays along the way, eventually signing when he did. Whereas a guy like Danny Young, certainly more grateful to uh, get selected in any slot by the Blue Jays per his own admission. And so certainly interesting to share. And then Chris Rowley, of all people, when he was with the Fisher Cats last year, had a chance to talk to him about his draft experience. And he, in fact, told me that he had gone to a Mets game because I believe he was in New York at the time, of course, being a West Point graduate and a uh, Armed Forces veteran. He was in New York State at the time, and so he had gone to a Mets game to get his mind off of things. And then, as we know, didn't get drafted, but was signed by the Blue Jays and, you know, made those quick appearances before he shipped off for those two years overseas. So I think Chris Rowley, of all the players I've talked to along the way, both in my tenure here with the Blue Jays, as well as with the, the San Diego Padres organization, where I started my career out in California, I think Chris Rowley is certainly the most interesting when you mix in all the variables that made him the player and the person that he is today. Let's finish up with your thoughts on the last seven days of Fisher Cats action. You know, it's actually probably been uh, the worst stretch of baseball for the Cats, only based on record, and unfortunately New Hampshire's only won one of their last five. That said, back-to-back doubleheaders on Saturday and Sunday in Binghamton, which were the last two games where I was on the call. I'll tell you, Jesse, that should be illegal in minor league baseball. 28 innings in a two-day stretch with a night game, a twi-night doubleheader followed by two day games back-to-back. So that was quite the stretch, and I know that all these guys in the clubhouse certainly feeling the effects of that and had seen Binghamton a lot over the first two and a half months of the season here. So certainly glad to be done with the Rumble Ponies for a while. And then Akron just came to town over the last three days, and the Rubber Ducks took two out of three from the Cats. Just the fourth series of the year, I believe, that New Hampshire has not been victorious or split in, and so that's a testament to this team continuing to find ways to win even when they're down. And so unfortunately, I think this team, feeling feeling the absence of Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s bat as a regular in that lineup at the moment, but that said, 
as we've all discussed, if and when Vladimir gets promoted, uh, there's going to be a time when this team will need to reckon with the fact that they will no longer have number 27 batting third and playing third base or designated hitting. So I think this is a good time for the Cats to be slumping just a bit to be able to redefine themselves as a unit and as a team and also be able to find other ways to win other than Vlad coming up and hitting viral home runs. (laughs) Although those have been a lot of fun. Tyler Zickel, thank you for your dose of realism and encouragement. I appreciate it. Voice of the New Hampshire Fisher Cats while the Lieutenant Tyler Murray is off wrangling the media. Thank you for your time, sir. My pleasure, Jesse. And as it relates to Hawaiian Shirt Sundays up in Buffalo, maybe Tank Top Tuesdays down here in New Hampshire will have an opportunity to show off uh, the pipes of both myself and Tyler Murray. And for anybody listening who doesn't know what we look like, we have faces and bodies for radio. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to that. Picture it didn't happen, all right? Cheers for now, Jesse. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks, as always, for the time. Farewell to Zick, and let me bring in Dante DiCaria, who broadcasts Lansing Lugnuts games with me, single-A baseball in the Blue Jays organization. Dante, how are you? Not too bad. Always happy to come down to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Beautiful park view. You're probably one of the nicest stadiums in all of minor league baseball outside of the Midwest League. Just an awesome day to be at the park today. Dante, what have been your thoughts on the past seven days of Lansing Lugnuts action? I thought going into the Dayton series, especially in game one, scoring a total of 10 runs in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, that it was just going to be all, you know, guns a-blazing down the rest of the way. And then the Lugnuts got into a little bit of trouble in game two of that series on Saturday night against the uh, the Dayton Dragons. And then going into the Sunday game, they were pretty much dominated until they were able to swing the bats towards the end of the ball game. And I was looking at the numbers, and they're batting over 320 in the month of June over the last six games, which is unbelievable. And you know what? Going into Bowling Green, they show that they could play in a hostile environment in front of some, you know, some crazy fans in front of um, maybe not as many fans as you would usually see. And, and against a really good Tampa Bay Ray organization, Bowling Green Hot Rods team that had been swinging the bat really well. Of course, six all-stars on their team. So I'm very impressed the way that the Lansing Lugnets played over the last six games. So um, overall, a pretty good, a pretty good stretch. Let me ask you specifically, how about Ryan Noda getting the power bat going? Yeah, you know what? I was more than thrilled to see that for Ryan Noda yesterday. He's a guy that was walking a lot at the beginning of the season, and then it seemed like he had a conversation with the coaching staff, especially in hitting coach Matt Young, in which he said, hey, you're taking borderline pitches. You're a guy that the organization has looked at in terms of the top prospects, in terms of your power. And Jesse, I've had multiple media members bloggers, Twitter guys, the Blue Jays, you know, around the Blue Jays' nest saying, where is this power? I love this guy because of his power. And I turned around and said, well, we have not seen his power this season. We have seen it now. And that was his first two-run homer game since his collegiate days. He did not have a multi-home run game um, in Bluefield last season. So it's nice to see his power get going. That is now his th- third home run over his last six games. So overall, he's swinging a hot bat, and he's driven in nine runs over his last six games as well. Let's talk draft now. Major League Baseball draft just occurred. How did you take it in this year? You know what? It was, it, it was tough to take in because at the beginning, it seemed like the Blue Jays were just going to draft a whole bunch of high school guys. So you and I both looked at it and said, all right, we're probably not going to see any of these guys this season. And then they started drafting more and more college guys. And a guy that I like is uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Conine, who was um, drafted 
by the Toronto Blue Jays, I believe, in the second round, if I have his name correct. I might be saying his dad's – am I saying his dad's name? Jeff so have, and okay, Griffin. Yeah. Griffin's the son. Jeff is Mr. Marlin. Okay, yes, Mr. Marley, yeah, his son Griffin Conan, pardon me. Uh, I really like him. It seems like he's going to be a great um, a great guy in the Blue Jays organization. He's got the bloodlines again, so he's a guy that I really like. Other than the rest of the draft, it seemed like going with a few um, high school arms late, in the, uh, late in, the, in the rounds is going to help them going forward. And overall, I think that it's probably a lot of these guys are going to be on the Lugnets next season. Let me ask, because I know that you sat down with Lansing Lugnuts. What draft day stories did you enjoy hearing about? Brock Lundquist, because uh, <laughs> Brock Lundquist actually uh, left his phone on the other side of the room while his agent was calling him saying, hey, uh, the Blue Jays would like to take you. The Blue Jays would like to take you. And he was sitting there, and he went and looked at his phone and saw that he had 10 missed calls, and he called his agent back. And his agent's like, hey, Brock, like, you have one minute to decide. To decide if you're going to sign up the Blue Jays or else they're going to take someone else right now and you're probably either going to move down to another team instead of being drafted in the sixth round. And Brock immediately said, yes, I want to get drafted. And the reason why is because he actually told me that he was drafted um, higher in a previous season. He would have been drafted higher. Um, and the, the Oakland Athletics actually offered him uh, more money than the Blue Jays had, but he had declined it thinking that he, in his next season, would get more money. And then it was the same thing when he was drafted by the A's out of high school. So the athletics were on him, but the Blue Jays decided to take him. And I'm sure if he passed up the sixth round, I'm sure either the Blue Jays or another California team would take him. Dante, outstanding. This has been another brisk week of Around the Nest, the 30 minutes flying by. Dante to carry on Twitter at Diamond underscore Dante. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Jesse. Well, from Dante DiCaria and Jim Tarabocchi and Tyler Zickel and Pat Malacaro, up the ladder, Lansing, Dunedin, New Hampshire, and Buffalo. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strassler. This has been Around the Nest. Big thanks to the minor leaguer and bluebird banter at that. And you can find us on Twitter at Around Nest. That does it for another week of Jay Talking Around the Organization. Till next week. Until then, enjoy the baseball.